Hello, and welcome to another episode of Listen. I'm your host, Rupal Goyle, but you can call me Roops. Uh, This is a show where I give hot takes and social commentary on things I feel like I now have a little bit of uh, knowledge about and interest in, so I'm really excited to continue to explore these aspects of diversity, mental health, and personal growth. Today, I have a really wonderful guest on. I have been so excited. This is like a year in the making. I cannot wait. I am just going to pass it on over and let her introduce herself. Allie Hazelwood, how you doing? Would you like to say a couple words? Hi! First of all, it's so true. It's been so long in the making. We've been talking about doing this for months and months, so it's so nice to finally be here. And uh, yeah, my name is Ali Hazelwood, and I write rom-coms, mostly so far rom-coms set set in STEM academia, and uh, um, yeah, my debut uh, novel was The Love Hypothesis, and it came out about a year ago in September 2021, and my next book is going to be Love on the Brain, and it's coming out in um, August uh, um, uh, 2022 on August 23rd, I believe. August 23rd? Yeah, I think. It's it's almost here. It's uh, almost here. Almost here. (laughs) I have, I'm so grateful and honored that you're here. Thank you so much for being here. Well, thank you for having me. This is so fun. Um, I'm I'm just excited that we're finally doing this. I'm excited that we're doing this and I'm happy that this is a little bit of a good break from you between obviously a very hectic schedule. Of course, as most of you may know, Ali has had a very very exciting, successful year with her debut novel, The Love Hypothesis, and then her Steminist novellas, which were all absolutely incredible, very lovely reads. And finally, Love on the Brain is coming this month. So keep your eyes peeled and hit that pre-order button. So before (laughs) we begin, Miss Allie, first of all, thank you for being here. I love the fact that you have paved the way for better STEM academia representation in literature. So just off the bat, wanted to put that out there for those of you, if you have not read her books um, and you feel like you don't see yourself represented in the terms of an academic setting, in a STEM environment, things like that, her heroines are very cool, very interesting, very well-written. And most of all, they're geeks. So (laughs) geek representation rise up. On the podcast, we have been very vocal about me being a big fat nerd. And <laughs> that's why I really, I really enjoyed reading it. And I know my book clubs will say the same, but just <laughs> wanted to kick it off with asking you a little bit about your experiences with diversity and mental health in STEM and academia. And how did you reflect that in your books? You know, I actually feel like I really started writing um at least a little bit uh because I wasn't doing uh, all that hot <laughs> in uh, uh grad school you know how grad school is and I know you are about to start grad school and I feel kind of horrible telling you all these things <laughs> no I kind of need to hear the harsh truth please hit me with reality <laughs> you know what though I think if you go into grad school kind of aware that it's going to ask a lot out of you and that um, there are going to be certain like precautions you have to take to safeguard your mental health. And then you are already in better shape than I ever was, honestly. Um, I started writing and I started through fan fiction when I was in the last year of my PhD and I was actually the last semester of my PhD and I was writing my dissertation and the stress level was just, uh, you know, 
I was really struggling. I actually, I was definitely like, you know, mentally ill as in I had a diagnosis of depression and I wasn't doing anything with it. Like, I just remember that between the end of my third year and the beginning of my fourth year, um, of grad school. And I, I had to do my PhD in four years because my advisor left in my fourth year. So that was like, it was a bunch of things where I had to do it quicker than most. Uh, I had to like sort of, um, hurry up, hurry up and scramble to get data, uh, because that's, you know, you have to have data to have a dissertation, to be able to graduate. And then, um, Aside from that, when all this stuff was happening, I was just feeling really, really poorly uh, because, you know, just it was grad school. Like grad school is incredibly stressful and uh, it kind of leads you to believe somehow that it's the only thing that matters. And if you're not being the most successful at everything that's grad school, you are kind of like a failure of a human being. And th that's just the environment that it is. You know, you're mostly just with other grad students and all you talk about 24-7 is grad school related stuff. So it kind of becomes so much part of your identity that like if you're not publishing, you're not doing great, then you you kind of, yeah, you're like, if you failed, you know, <laughs> you're not doing it right. And um, that was like, I, I really, I think I really was at a time where I really, really needed some kind of uh, hobby that wasn't, you know, working out or working. And that was, and that's, that, that's actually something that, you know, is kind of um, made fun of in the love hypothesis. I talk about it a lot. Like, I think uh, it's Adam and Olive that have a conversation where they're like, making fun of each other for not having hobbies. Like their only hobby is like going for runs, which is kind of sad if you think about it. I mean, running, you know, if you love to run, that's great. But like, sometimes you need something else in your life, you know? And uh, um, yeah, and uh, um, I think that's kind of what happened to me in my fourth year. I, I really, really needed something else. And that's how I found, you know, first... Uh, fan fiction that I would read. And then I had some idea for writing some. And uh, then, you know, I started writing and uh, I, I started more and more, I would kind of gravitate towards putting my characters in STEM academia setting. And I think that was for me a lot of like working through these ridiculous situations and these really hard feelings uh, that I kept having by putting characters that I really loved um, in situations that were similar to the ones that I was living every day and kind of like making fun of it, you know, like if, uh, I don't know, if someone from Star Wars can be in academia and survive, I can do that too. You know, it was kind of one of those things where I was working through a lot of stuff. And uh, um, so, yeah, that was definitely <laughs> a big part of just kind of uh, me starting to write STEM academia stuff. I, I think I, 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 I wanted to like, you know, work through and uh, um, um, kind of find a, a way to deal with all this stress and all these like feelings that I had that were so negative. No, I totally get that. It's like, you know, how artists write songs to work through their feelings and their emotions. It's like you're using your writing to unpack your grad school trauma. Yeah, really yeah, was. yeah. I remember writing a Star Trek fan fiction in which like, I had like a, a character had like a, this minor <laughs> crisis and she started crying because she said, 
uh, I think her sister had a baby and she was like, people around me, you know, are getting married. They have jobs, they have careers. And here I am in love until late. And I was like, wow, wow. This is not even subtle. (laughs) I am just very in your face. I was like, whoa, look at me. (laughs) But that is, I mean, it, it is nothing if not relatable, right? Like, a lot of us, especially coming into the current job market and trying very hard to stay afloat, um, yeah. feel that way, right? Where it's like, if I don't give 100% to my job, if I don't stick it out yeah. here, like, who am I? What is my identity? What is my mm-hmm. self-worth? So yeah. obviously, I mean, you did that through your books, like reflecting your experiences um, in your PhD program at uh, Dr. Hazelwood and making that, <laughs> you know, a part of your fanfic and then further novel reality, which is mm-hmm. really cool and really good because most of us don't like, I mean, we should be destigmatizing that conversation anyway. So this is mm-hmm. a great way to do that. But a lot of yeah. us, I know myself included in the past have been very um, careful to reveal that aspect of ourselves, the fears, mm-hmm. the insecurities, things like that, especially when it comes to success and pressure. Totally. I, I try to be as honest as possible about like how anxious and, you know, just generally sad I often am just because I feel like I've noticed that just talking about it with other people makes it so much better. Like I, I've been talking very openly with my editor and my agent about how anxious I, I anxious I am about the fact that my second book is coming out. And I'm like, what if it doesn't do as well as the first? And like, would you be disappointed in me? And what are what is the benchmark for success? And just having the conversation is so helpful. Like just being able to put it out there and not having like just the feeling festering. And I'm still anxious and I'm going to be anxious until the day I die, no matter how many meds uh, I take and no matter how much that therapy I have, but just being able to tell people, this is what I live my life like every day. <laughs> like it's just me overthinking. It's just so nice and, and freeing in a way. I mean, absolutely. It's, it's so nice to be able to share your troubles with someone and have mm-hmm. them be really receptive and listen to it and then give you helpful ways to tackle it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that really, that leads very well into what I wanted to ask you about mm-hmm. later. And you just kind of brought it up to the forefront of this idea of defining success. And mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of my guests and I talk about mental health and the pressures of academic yeah. success and family and societal pressure affecting how we approach our lives. So how have you shaped your life and perspective to fit your personal definition of success, which I assume has, you know, changed and flowed throughout the years, especially with the release of your books. Yeah, totally. I mean, so I have to say, I, what, what has happened to me was that like, I've been in academia, you know, for a bunch of years and then, and I, like I was really struggling. And as you know, probably success in academia is very much like, what's the number of publications that you have? What are the number of grants that you have? And like, I remember sometimes, um, like I I had this really cool experience um, in the first couple of years of my PhD, where I was chosen to do this, like this thing called brain camp, which is like this 
institute in neuroscience uh, in uh, in the summer you get to go to like california for two weeks uh, and you start with other like young neuroscientists and it was amazing but i remember being there and like whatever person i would meet during the day i would like google their names at night to know how many publications they were to see if i was supposed to be intimidated by them and like that was it's such a dysfunctional way of approaching relationships and that's something that like i kind of had to train myself out of in academia like when i'm meeting someone and i'm talking with someone i don't need to know whether they're more successful than me or less successful than me i just need to know if they're like nice people that i can have a good conversation with like that's that was something that i had to like it's something that i had to kind of teach myself during grad school like to stop thinking in those terms and that's actually something that i really struggled to bring with me in um uh, in the publishing world like i didn't want to fall like i i don't i didn't want to compare my sales uh, with other people i didn't want to compare myself with anyone else like i it's it's so hard to stay away from like things like that in publishing because uh, sometimes publishing itself like kind of puts them under your nose like it's your publishing team that tells you oh your book made a list or oh your book sold these copies or we're happy about this or we're sad about this and you kind of don't want to know because it it messes you up but like it has been very important for me both first in grad school and now it has been in publishing to really like not look elsewhere and just be happy like am i happy with the work that i have done do i think that i have done my best and uh, do i think that the book that i have written is uh, the best book that i could write at that moment i mean i'm sure that now i could rewrite my second book better but n- at that moment was it the best thing i could do and it was like uh, you know i'm 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 trying to like i'm trying to be you know satisfied with what i myself do based on what my resources and my abilities are at a given moment and i'm also trying not to like beat myself up if i am not you know if it's not the best thing in the world like sometimes i cannot write 2000 good words a day sometimes i can only write 20 good words and that is fine because that's how i felt in that specific day it's very hard like i i really i try really hard to like kind of set boundaries for myself like that but um I mean that's that's really like yeah that that's really for me it's the only way to really define success like am i feeling good about it and uh, am i you know sparing my mental health in the process that's that's really all i care about um and then there are a bunch of things that you know are are really like they're really important like for example um in in grad school uh you know someone saying that they've read my paper and they thought it was good science and uh, um or like you know my advisor saying that she was proud of me things like that and you know in um in uh, in publishing it's when i have readers telling me you know i read your book and it inspired me to do something like you and i were talking earlier or you know someone who says i read your book and i was having a bad day and then i read your book and it made me laugh and i was feeling less sad that's like this stuff is so important and it makes me so happy that's kind of what i try to go after when it comes to being happy about something more than other things like you know 
is my book on the New York Times or whatever. Like that's that's what I try to focus on because that's what is under my control, I feel. That's awesome. And that's so, you touched on a lot of really good points, especially about not looking at the metrics and the numbers and caring more about how it made people feel and mm-hmm. how it made you feel at the time. I know that's very much easier said than done. Oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's, a, it's a daily struggle. Like I, yeah. I'm talking about it here like, oh yeah, this is what I do. But like, it's really a daily struggle, yeah. um, but it's worth struggling, I yes. guess. <laughs> I 100% get that. It's like, I remember when I started my podcast and my family was like, are you going to monetize it? Like he was listening. Yeah. And I started feeling really bad about it. I was like, well, no one's really listening and I don't make money. I <laughs> just kind of do it for myself. But yeah. anytime anyone, if my metrics of success is, did one person listen to it and get anything out of it? If exactly. they did, that's all that matters. I don't even care about the numbers. Like it's never been a numbers game. I'm never going to monetize it. It's something exactly. I do. It's something I do for fun, right? It's like you, you write because it makes you feel and mm-hmm. it makes other people feel, right? Exactly. And that's the best metric of all is, did you make someone's day better? Did they do something really interesting because they read their book? Exhibit yeah. A, I'm moving to London <laughs> for grad school. <laughs> And I was telling Alia this earlier pre-recording. I was like, let me tell you, I was talking to my friend at work. Shout out to you, Apoorva. She would be so excited that this is happening. (laughs) But she and I were talking about, we had read The Love Hypothesis and we were like, oh my God, maybe we need to move abroad and be in grad school to find ourselves a man. Is that what we're getting from this? (laughs) And it was a it was a joke. And then four months later I texted her and I was like, oh by the way, I'm doing exactly that. Uh my first priority is obviously a good education. And my second priority is finding myself finding myself a life partner. (laughs) Who knows? Who knows? Like it'd be really fun. Like my family's really on my ass about it too. They're like time is ticking and I'm just like I know I know <laughs> which is why I'm doing this no money no prospects <laughs> no a burden to my parents a burden absolutely. To my parents like 27, 27 no money no prospects but I've never related to her more but it's so embarrassing I really want to be a Lizzie but I've learned I'm not oh yeah that's like I feel like for me that was adulthood realizing that I wanted to be Lizzie but I was like Charlotte actually I actually think I am Mr. Bennett that's oh my god you are Mr. Bennett I I, if I could I would sell my soul to be Lizzie Bennett but unfortunately I don't have the innate charming yet cool personality <laughs> she has to bag a really rich interesting man i, I do, the- do you do you watch bob's burgers yes okay so that's the same for me like i really want to be a louise but i know that i am a tina like nine nine thousand <laughs> percent oh my god i am a hundred percent a tina are you kidding me like i it's you know when you watch a show and you're like i want to be the really interesting cool character and yeah i'm just like <laughs> I don't want to be bound to be the secondary background supporting minority character forever. I would like to one day move into my main character moment. And that's what I'm trying to do right now. That's, I mean, moving to London for grad school, that's like, that's like not even main character. It's like one man show energy. I love that. (laughs) Thank you so much. I love that so much. I I'm entering what I want to call my, my fake villain era where Mm. I'm not, 
I'm not a villain yet, but I feel like if I give myself the opportunity, I will be. <laughs> so the dark side is so close. The dark side, but no, that's really that's really lovely um, to hear. You know that you're very open with the fact that you have to set these boundaries and you have mm-hmm. to not look at these words and you have to really focus on the things that matter. And every day that's hard, right? Like the things will come in that are negative and you have to kind of let that roll off your back so you can absorb the positive. Mm -hmm. But it is, again, it is an everyday thing and it will never stop, right? You can only continuously go to therapy and talk to people. Exactly. Yeah. It's really, it's a daily thing. Like, and, and I, I, sometimes I like sleep and like, I text my friends and I'm like, I am a failure. (laughs) And they're like, what is happening here? No. Oh my God. Are you on your period? Is that it? You're like, no, I just feel this all the time. (laughs) <laughs> I, it does get worse when I'm around my period I have to say it's like um, are you oh me? my god Absolutely. I'm the worst person in the world I'm the worst person and then my acne is horrible and then I feel bad <laughs> about my face and then it affects how I see other people and I feel gross and it's just a lot I know I know I know like it's it's just once a month I don't need this on top of the way I am every day yes (laughs) but it's not even just once a month it's like you have a week of just period hell and then you have the days beforehand where you feel kind of icky but you're like it's coming and then the days after we are coming off of feeling gross so how much time do you really get in a month really it's like a day of freedom just one (laughs) you got one good day so you better not squander it exactly like no your perfect day (laughs) <laughs> I love that. And it probably rains during the day or something. And you're like, whatever. God, you're like, oh, <laughs> the irony. But I, that's really interesting, you know, especially from an author who is so well regarded. You have such a, you know, you have so many hits out there. People are really relating. But I think what means the most to me is seeing that the people I put in such high regard have the same problems I do and are dealing with the same yeah. things I am. You know, that's something that it's it's the same for me. Like, I remember when I did my launch event, uh, Christina Lauren, um, the two of them did it with me and they were so nice. And uh, before, like, it, this was my publication day and I was like super anxious and uh, um, we were talking and they said, you know, this career is going to have like a lot of lows. It's going to have highs, but it's also going to have lows. And there's going to be a bunch of things that just don't work out and you're going to be really sad. And I was talking to them about this and like just hearing, you know, people that I respect so much and that are so, like you said, well-regarded and established, telling me there will be bad times, but then it will be okay because there will be good times again, was so soothing in a way because I was like, okay, well, I'm something is going to go bad. But even if it goes bad, then we go back to good, hopefully, because that's what they're saying. And it was incredibly, um, like, incredibly, like, just... It, calmed me down so much at the time um it really meant a lot to me that's that's really validating right when you have people Mm -hmm. especially you have such good people in your corner you have great authors you're friends with you've connected with and they've really given you a realistic perspective right it's like you giving me a realistic perspective on what's to come (laughs) they gave you a realistic um I mean I have to say like I have met so many, like, there are so many authors that I have felt, like, really mentored by Christina and Lauren, for sure. Adriana Herrera is another one. Like, she's an amazing author. And she also, like, she really has given me so much good advice. 
Um, and it's like, I, I want to give back. I actually just feel like I have no advice to give to anyone. <laughs> but like, you know, like at the same time, it really makes you want to give back because this is such a good community full of people who are kind of trying to support each other and uh, um, yeah, and give each other the tools to succeed and, uh, you know, just kind of stay afloat <laughs> at least. <laughs> no, I totally get that. Okay, guys, if you hear a weird break between <laughs> the last thing I just said or Ali said and this, it's because Zoom kicked me out and How was like, dare. you're poor, dare. pay for an upgrade. So How dare you, Zoom? How dare you? No, you. It's, I have to call them out publicly. Exactly. But as we were saying, you know, you've entered the industry, you've really worked on ways to deal with any criticism, any negativity, and kind of understanding the positives that come with it and shaping your uh, definition of success, which is really great understanding like mm-hmm. you doing your best is the best that can you can put out there, right? It's like, what product am I satisfied with? If I feel good about this, mm-hmm. nothing's going to make me feel bad about it at all. Like if you feel the best, but I know with this territory comes a lot of expectation, especially since you've played such a crucial role in bringing better STEM representation, academic representation into the romance genre. So are you going to continue writing STEM and heroines? And how do you handle this, especially this, like, I know, I mean, pressure is a weird word for it, but it feels like a lot of expectation. A little bit. I have to say, um, like, it's very flattering whenever people tell me, oh, you kind of brought, you know, STEM representation to rom-coms but like it never feels like that to me and that's probably because I kind of like I remember for example reading The Kiss Quotient by Helen Hong one of my favorite books and like I remember reading it and thinking like she the 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 main character was um a data scientist a data analyst and and she was super nerdy and super geeky and I remember thinking I just felt so seen by her. I mean, uh, it's such a good car, a good book, like on so many levels. But uh, I just just because of that, like uh, to me, like it was kind of Helen who like brought us, uh, you know, these uh, these amazing uh, um, STEM heroine, and I was very much like you know walking in her footsteps or something. I also another one of my favorite writers is Sherry Thomas and she writes a lot of uh she, she writes historical which is you know a little bit different writing a woman in STEM in a historical setting is like usually they're not formal settings like you know academia like we have but at the same time it's of course much harder to be a woman in STEM at the time so um you know like I I, I was really um kind of try to like you know like I said walk in the footsteps of these authors that I I really really loved and that were writing these amazing um women in STEM and women in academia um and uh, um I I like my my next book and the one that's coming out in a couple of weeks and then the following one uh the one that uh, I think is going to come out next summer uh, are still going to have women in STEM in them. And that's, you know, th- that was, that, that's kind of something that we planned with my editor when she bought the three books they were supposed to be about women in STEM. And I was 100% like happy with it because it's very hard for me to write stuff that is not in academia because I haven't really known much else 
it's the, definitely like you know my this is my lived experience uh, academia and stem so that's kind of what i'm writing <laughs> um so there's a, a lot of like just um i feel like that's what i can bring uh uh to the table um because it's kind of what i know um there is definitely pressure and you know there are several types of women in stem experiences that i cannot speak for for example like what and that's one of the things that i try to explain in the books uh, like for example um Anne, uh, who was a side character, she's a woman of color in STEM. And, uh, you know, it's not even like, like the intersection between not only just being a woman in a place that is male dominated, but like being a, like an Asian woman in, uh, in a place where most people are white uh, is, uh, you know, it's, it's not just cumulative, it's exponential. So it's uh, like, things are much harder. And um, so th that is to say, like, there are a lot of, um, experiences that I really cannot speak to um but I definitely enjoy speaking about like talking about my own struggles and my own difficulties it is very cathartic for me it's like I do work through stuff <laughs> and uh, um yeah and I I I just yeah I I really and for so far I really enjoy writing about women in STEM I definitely like the book that I'm writing now still has uh, a main character who is um good at like STEM but it's a little bit of a different setup um but it hasn't been accepted by my editor so we will see what happens <laughs> oh I can't wait good luck and I mean really great point you made about intersectionality right mm -hmm. like you write what you know. And there's so much, I mean, I can write about being a brown woman in the business world or broad woman in STEM, but I can't write about other experiences. And Anne was a really interesting character to read about because she gave me that intersectional perspective of being a woman of color in an academic setting, which I can only assume is so hard. Um, yeah, 100%. I mean, I definitely and you know, it's also hard, like, these are not like, like you said, you know, it's, it's, I also don't want to appropriate the narrative of women of color in STEM, because, you know, it's, you know, when, um, when Ellen Hong wrote about Stella, who is, you know, an Asian woman in, uh, who, who works in STEM, well, not in academia, but in a company, like, she did it from her own personal experience. And you that's that I think that's why Stella resonated so much with so many readers. Like she was exactly. just you could tell that it was a real true narrative yes. uh, that, she, that was coming from her own experience. And Stella was neurodivergent too, which exactly. you, don't, you don't see in a lot of uh, heroines and romance. 100%. Like it was just, I, I don't know. I felt so much for Stella. Like it just, she's just just she has such a special place in my heart yeah. <laughs> it's uh, um yeah totally. i mean the kiss the kiss question is amazing and helen Wong has i feel like the kiss question so like to me i know that romance novels you know were written i i was reading romance novels before but for me the kiss question is such a watershed book uh like it just has given us so much to like our society <laughs> it's I feel like I have been given so much by this book um so yeah <laughs> love I mean it's so important right that's the best part about writing and being able to connect with other people is you never know who's going to read it and feel seen and connected mm -hmm. and it's Absolutely. how it's going to inspire you so I'm really I'm really glad you brought 
her up because that book, I mean, that whole trilogy is just phenomenal. Oh my God. I know. Like, I feel like the whole trilogy has taken my feelings, like tortured them and then has given me back all my feelings improved. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> I'm like, thank you so much for what you're you've like, been doing to me. Like you did so much for me. Yes. You know, this book did so did, this book did so much for our mental health and well-being. Like, the hard principle, like I could not, like I was sobbing. I Crying. was so happy in the end. Like it was just such a it was good. Anyway, it, was also, it felt like it felt like I think her most personal book she's written. It's, it, just, it was it was fantastic. It was just jumping yeah. off the page. That's I think that's the most yeah. beautiful part about writing and writing to represent what you feel and what you yeah. believe in is that it's the most authentic thing you can put out. There, yeah, yeah, right? no, totally. We we are Helen Huang stands first Stan. and human second. <laughs> It's the meme where it's like, it's like, I am, I am a stan of Helen Huang. If no one is, if like, there's no one left on earth, she has no more I am the last person. I am her stan. Like, <laughs> exactly. I, man, I love romance because it brings people. My least favorite thing is when people try to belittle or disregard women's fiction or like women's genres as women's genre, right? Like, calling it women's fiction is such a disservice because romance is for everyone but it's also like we love to belittle things that mm-hmm. women love right it's and like, we don't call like men's fiction we don't like, call we men's don't fiction call, exactly we just call it fiction so, but you mean exactly, exactly. Women's yeah fiction. but it's like you can work through so many mm-hmm. interesting deep complex themes totally in your books yeah and I mean, that doesn't mean that everyone has to, right? You can write a book that's straight fluff and I would still eat that shit up. Oh, yeah. Write a book that's really serious and I would eat it, right? Like there's so many authors who have carved their area, like niche in the industry doing that kind of work. I mean, one I think of is obviously in your your first book, um, I'm not going to give any spoilers, but you have a really great plot thread of sexism and academia and like being a woman in STEM and how you have to deal with certain hurdles mm-hmm. and pressures and like you tackled it really, really well. And it was really gracefully done, but it was also very um, carefully handled, uh, which I think is really important when you're reading about heavy themes, mm-hmm. especially if I'm picking up, if I'm picking up a romance book and I don't know it's going to have heavy themes and I read something heavy, like it stresses me out, but if it's handled really well, I'm like, wow, mm-hmm. I learned something from this. Right. Totally. And I mean, I, I love that's something that I love about, you know, the work of many, many writers um, that they balance this like, you know, happiness and joy that romance gives you. And then there is like stuff that is a little bit more, um, I don't want to say sad, but like definitely, you know, more thematically heavy. And I I just love that. I love the balance between that. Feels It feels human. Yeah, but, exactly. Yeah. Which is, I mean, that's that's why I love books it's I feel more human than ever when I read a book yeah um but how have you I mean you touched on this earlier especially but how have you seen your writing process and your life goals change since writing the love hypothesis because I know you started in fan fiction which I will get Mm -hmm. to but (laughs) you I mean what's next for you right like you're going to keep writing I know and it's I hate making five-year plans because I can barely handle six months but I know you how do you, I mean, so much has changed for you. Yeah. And I mean, so much has changed for me, like you said, and it's such a nice opportunity to like 
tell stories to people. Like, I'm just excited. Um, so what I'm doing in terms of like, you know, I, I was a professor. I mean, I guess I still am a professor, but I'm going to take some time off next year and try to write books, you know, um, the idea here is that I'm just kind of excited to, um, try to see what can happen if I do this, you know, full time, if like I, I give it my all and try to write a bunch of stories that, you know, have been percolating around my head for a while. So I think what's going to happen is that this, this coming year, um, I mean, for me, it's going to be a little bit of an experimental thing where I try to figure out what I want to do. And then uh, I guess I will just uh, see. <laughs> and then I'll see how that worked out. I think that's what I'm going to do. Um, I, yeah. And then maybe I will make a five-year plan. <laughs> No, don't make, don't make a fiber plan. It's, it's not. It's not good for your anxiety. Trust me on this. But okay. no, I. That's really great. Putting yourself first and kind of exploring something new. Um, if you're like, if you're telling me that the work you've been putting out has been you balancing multiple things, I am terrified and excited to see what happens. <laughs> I when mean, you give it all hundred percent. Actually, I'm gonna be real with you. The reason why I decided to like take some time off is that I was just spending all my time doing the writing job and not enough time doing the other job. So I, I think what's going to happen is that the work is going to stay the same, but I'm not going to feel constantly guilty wow. about the fact that I am not like being a, the, the professor that I should be. That's so, that's so real. That's so real. <laughs> Are you kidding me? I mean, I, I 100%, I get that, right? It's, it's a balance game and feeling Oh man, it's wor- it's horrible when you feel guilty for doing something you love. Oh yeah. Because you have a day job. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, totally. And I'm actually so grateful. I mean, it's I remember staying up late to write and read fan fiction. So it's just so cool that now I get the opportunity to like do this thing that I love so much, but you know, during the day <laughs> without having to stay up until one because I have a deadline. It's just really, really cool to just have the opportunity i definitely hope that it works out but i'm also trying not trying to be like you know there are so many things in publishing that are not under your control and that they're just things that you kind of have to say i hope it works out but who knows maybe you know next year no one buys a rom-com ever again <laughs> like it's a, and, and then i have to like, we all become yeah. incredibly jaded all at the exactly. same time we're like yeah. romance uh i don't Ugh. like that unrealistic <laughs> i just want to read litfic written by men that sounds like my personal seventh ring of hell but thank you <laughs> truly truly I yeah just, no i i'm no. not pleased with, no. <laughs> with this I, scenario if that's a world that's my future I do not want to be a part of it <laughs> but know. at least we'll still have fan fiction which leads me <laughs> yeah fan fiction is always there for you uh, I mean fan fiction.net and AO3 will always hold my mental health in their hands so <laughs> truly though like definitely like I 
my favorite website is AO3. Good, correct. <laughs> it has the best sorting system too. Yeah, I mean, yeah, no fanfiction.net, I have to say, is, is kind of kind of showing its age. Uh, but <laughs> AO3, like there is not even a close second. Like, you know, what's your favorite? What's the website where you go every morning when you wake up or having your coffee and people are like, I don't know, CNN, the news. And I'm like, AO3. AO3, <laughs> it's AO3. I that's so funny because especially because I know you got oh my god do you hear the thunder I'm so sorry oh, is that thunder yes it's thunder and lightning I'm like oh my god is it are you gonna be okay are oh yeah you? yeah fingers <laughs> crossed oh my god <laughs> that is so loud <laughs> I it is that's why I have my little lamp on and I look greasy as hell but oh, I ugh, for I the... hate this weather for I my... mean it's I know it's it yeah it it, it feels like the weather is not really I mean it's not raining but it's all good weather here, here as well oh. and it looks like it's midnight <laughs> it's no, like... it ain't so but sorry that was so ADHD but my I understand I mean most of us who are fans know that you come from a very rich exciting fanfic background <laughs> um and I know it's such a relatable part of your writing journey so how is that transition from fic to novel and do you have any favorite fandoms with great fanfic other than star wars because you have contributed so much um well so before star wars i was in star trek hell yeah i was uh uh well i was a multi-shooter in star trek but what really got me into it was spock and uh, niara uhura um i just love their love story in the reboots i was obsessed i wanted like that's what really I knew fan, I knew abstractly that fan fiction was a thing before, but that's what really got me into fan fiction. And like started, I started like that's how I learned that the AU3 was a thing, you know. <laughs> and uh, um definitely, so I read a lot of like Star Trek fan fiction, a lot of Star Wars fan fiction, of course. I read a lot of Teen Wolf fan fiction. Oh like yeah, I don't even watch the show. I'm literally just there. That's incredibly for the ships. <laughs> um some harry potter fan fiction um uh some x-men fan fiction again stuff that like i kind of there are a bunch of like the reason i read for example teen wolf and uh, x-men is not like i have watched the shows i think like i watched the x-men movies like maybe once but really it's mostly authors that i really really love fan fiction authors who are writing in other fandoms and then i was like yeah i mean i guess i'm just gonna read this even though i have no context for it um, it's happening I mean, I, as you should i read i read vampire diaries fanfic and i have not finished the show since i mid-2000s you know look at us but i mean i have literally read because my favorite writers wrote it i have literally read diehard fan fiction i'm not kidding you i was like i guess i'm doing this i die guess hard fan fiction what, are the, what are the tropes <laughs> I mean, this one was like, uh, um, it was, I don't even remember the names, but it was the guy, the Bruce Willis guy and the yes. evil, uh, was, is the Alan Rickman guy? Yes. Yeah, that, that's what it was. That's very funny. I'm, it's like, if yeah. my if my fave writes it, I'm going to try it. Of like, course, <laughs> slash fic for Die Hard. That's not surprising. <laughs> they don't even meet in person, I don't think, in the movie. Do they? I don't know. But do we care? Like, we're, we're here, like... You have to... It has to be Christmas fanfic, too, like, because Die Hard... <laughs> true. Die Hard's a Christmas movie, of it course. It does happen, yeah. 
but yeah, I mean, so I've I've gone I've gone through several rabbit holes. I have to say, with no shame and uh, no boundaries and reckless abandon. Oh, so. I mean, a hundred percent. I remember a couple of years ago, I went to Comic Con in Atlanta, and I went up to Colton Haynes from Teen Wolf, um, who plays Jackson, and I went up to him, and I was having a really lovely conversation. I was super normal, nothing out of pocket. And then I don't know what demon took over my body. And I look at him and I was like, oh, I have to tell you. Um, Like, I was such a slut for Teen Wolf. Like, Jackson was my sexual awakening. And he looks at me and he- Oh my God, I love this. He has to push himself away from the table to laugh. (laughs) And he's like, you know, I'm going to tweet that and steal it, right? I'm like, you can. (laughs) But it just, it was so natural. He was so nice. And then I just said that and it was so funny. And I remember I tweeted about it two years later and he liked my tweet. please <laughs> okay i love this experience for both of you like this is it this like it was an incredibly amazing and like groundbreaking moment for both of you and i love every second of it <laughs> i think i think it was really necessary for the two of us to have yes. that interaction this bonding moment yeah, <laughs> i love I'm it so never much. gonna forget it but that's amazing truly I amazing that. i love i love that fan fiction i mean who would have thought right that writing I mean, it's a lot more common now. I'm really seeing a shift and it's really interesting. But I mean, going from reading fanfic to writing fanfic to now writing and publishing full length novels and novellas. I mean, it's just such a lovely. Yeah. Yeah. And I I actually so my transition was uh, um, I was lucky because my agent kind of found me on AO3 because uh, my agent reads fan fiction on AO3 because she's one of us, you know, <laughs> and uh, I love her. So her name is Taole and she just kind of, you know, found it. And she was like, um, I had written in some of the notes that I was going to maybe consider pulling some fan fiction and like rework it into original stuff, but I wasn't sure, but I, I, I've, I've written in the notes uh, in a fan fiction notes, just so people would know to download the fic if they wanted it. I was like, you know, make sure that you have it because I might pull it and then you might like if you you know it's uh, what everyone kind of tells you the fan fiction that you really really love you have to download because you never know what happens on the internet they could take it away from you any day so if you are home and you're listening to this uh, go download that fan fiction that you keep going back to because you never know <laughs> and you know there's like 200k completed like 60 bazillion tropes and the tags like those are going to be the ones you want to save forever like exactly. that shit out bind it keep exactly it exactly yeah i mean there is a whole like fan fiction binding binding business and it always makes me smile so much because it's such a labor of love taking you know and such a collaborative fandom like thing when like yeah. someone writes something and then they give permission and so someone else takes it and prints it and then they lovingly bind it and like it's a beautiful thing and you're like this is the most fandom experience ever like kind of so- like taking each other's work and transform it yeah. it's it's I, I love it so much I mean but it's yeah. so lovely because it's like fanfic it's the the pipeline from being like a, a depressed teen reading <laughs> fanfic to a depressed adult reading <laughs> romance <laughs> bullet train 
<laughs> truly, truly. And I mean, I have to say for me, I was late. I think part of it was that I grew up not speaking English. Like I only started learning English in, in high school. So I feel like I didn't really have a good grasp on English back when I was a teenager enough to like go on fan fiction websites and uh, find stuff like I I just that my English wasn't good enough before I went abroad and stuff so I have to say that like I think that's probably part of why I only discovered fan fiction in my 20s and then I discovered fan fiction then and it was literally like a Narnia like experience where like you open the door of uh, the of the closet and uh, there is like a whole war there and you're like it was there all along and I didn't know it how is it possible <laughs> I mean it must be so flattering to see Adam and all the fanfic out there <laughs> it's amazing someone was telling me that there's like 90 works now and I was like I'm gonna have a moment now (laughs) and like it's 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 just amazing I it's not it's not even fluttering it's like just flooring me you know what I'm saying it's like is this I mean I cannot even it 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 just mean you have to have such a passion and a love for a character to take them and put them into your own story yeah that's that's exactly and and because I've done it for uh, for other characters that just feels it's so meaningful to me wow. just that people are taking you know I know how hard writing is and yeah. I know what a labor of love it is like to stay up at night and you know write something and then yeah. you know proofread it and post yeah. it like it's such a it's such a I don't know it's such an act of love yeah. in my eyes so I remember like I don't know what I remember finding out that Anne Rice didn't or like didn't authorize fan fiction of her works or something, and I was like, "Dude, like, do you understand the greatness of fan fiction? Like, do you understand how much they are people are doing for us? It just keeps the, it keeps the story alive. It's, it's just, yeah, it's like you never yeah. let it go, and it's so lovely. I mean, absolutely, I yeah, yeah, totally. I love that. No, oh, that's so lovely. I know we've. Uh, We've shifted from a very, you know, mental health and DEI <laughs> heavy fiction. conversation to fanfic, but fanfic is so relevant in that space oh, yeah. too, because yeah. I know how when I didn't know what else to turn to, to feel better when I was feeling down, yeah. when I was depressed, like I would turn to these stories mm-hmm. to continue my love affair with the characters I felt close yeah. to and comforted by, right? So fanfic has really done a lot for me I remember my I used to write (laughs) I'm really really (laughs) showing my ass out here now but (laughs) I used to write one direction fan fiction on the school bus on the way to school oh my god I love this um and it was all anonymous so no one has ever seen it no (laughs) one I know has ever read it I used a fake name. I had a Tumblr account. I had fake everything on there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was just out here posting one shots and fanfic and being kind of wild. Um, I love this for you. I, I am so happy that you've had you've gone through that. <laughs> it's so it's so fun. And it's exactly what you said earlier about translating your experiences into a really cathartic writing process. Yeah. And that's what I mean. What better way for me to figure my shit out than write fanfic and get all of my he- big, you know, heavy teenage emotions out on the page. Yeah. Right? 
100%. That's the best. It's um, it's also I have to say the Tumblr community. I know that like now Tumblr is kind of not even really. I I'm assuming it's there, but I don't know what's happening on Tumblr. But like the the community in when I discovered fan fiction, that was around like 2016, I think 2017, and uh, the community on Tumblr was also very open about like mental health struggles, and I like that was I think. Uh, I was in grad school and I had a diagnosis of depression, but I wasn't really doing anything about it. Like I had had, I had felt so bad that I had gone to see a psychiatrist. I remember. And the psychiatrist was like, you could, you, you, you know, you, you should not, you should, but like you could go on meds. And I remember even as a neuroscientist, so even as someone who studied how it's, you know, chemistry, the chemistry of your brain that is not it's not working out and therefore you need to like supplement certain things or like help things along. I remember feeling weird about the idea of taking meds. And then I know how much being in a positive, in just a positive environment like Tumblr uh, meant to me because everyone was very open about their struggles and everyone was like, it was very, you know, this, this stigmatizing. Everyone was like, you know, it's a thing that I struggle with. And uh, I actually started mad because of the strong encouragement of someone that I met through fandom who like, she's my best friend, you know, she's someone who like was literally there when I took my first pill. She was like, it's, it's gonna happen. So that was like so meaningful to me and uh, so important. I truly, um, yeah. It's it's definitely like, it's such a core moment mm-hmm. in your life to find a community mm-hmm. that can support yeah. you, especially when you're not sure what your options are, right? Yeah. And when you're when you're going through something you've never gone through before, like depression or anxiety, meeting other people kind of facing the same thing, giving you their experiences is so invaluable because you would have never found that otherwise. Absolutely. So fandom, fandom definitely like saved me in my teen years and Mm -hmm. carried me through my adulthood. So it's lovely to hear that it was the same for you. It's people, people love to criticize things they don't understand. And when people come for fanfic or fandom or call it weird or cheesy or, um, don't authorize it and things like that and feel threatened by it. It's like you're not mm. understanding the core uh, exactly meaning of it, which is community and love exactly. and growth. It, that is that is why I really like when people say that, you know, romance is not good or that fan fiction is not good. Like, I do feel some anger, but most of all, I'm like, I, I truly just kind of write these people off because, like, I, I have very little interest in convincing people that fan fiction is valid or romance novels are valid because to me the the sheer existence of these incredible communities that support each other and what what you know romance novels and romance landia and the fan fiction community has given me is so tangible and obvious that I don't even feel the need to argue that they are valid like yes they are valid and uh, I would never go and insult something that other people like that is not actively, you know, bigoted or harmful or, you know, anything like that. So I, I don't know. I just truly do not accept or even concern myself with people acting like that or saying stuff like that. Like, how dare 
you know it's like how it's dare how, it's like if you don't like it move on <laughs> exactly exactly like, it's so easy close your eyes bye like, exactly yeah let me enjoy it in peace mm-hmm. but no precisely. I love that I know I have held you and your brain and your personality in my hands for the last probably hour so I know I beautiful. have to it was so lovely I feel I so had privileged so much fun honestly it's like honestly talking about fandom and fan fiction is like I could literally go on forever so are, thank you oh, so much for giving me this opportunity we're gonna continue I just have to stop the recording so <laughs> <laughs> so the plebs can listen to it I get the I get the, the plebs <laughs> But thank you so much for being here. Do you oh have any parting thoughts, last words? Um, no, just like um, I guess uh, uh, thank you for listening. I had the time of my life during this conversation, and I hope you enjoyed it too. And that's it. I think that's that's it. That's it. If you and ever read her books. Oh yeah, yeah. If you want to read my book or read my fan fiction, it's still online. Wait, <laughs> so is, is there's really? that. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. Well, I have to go do that next. Um, I love that. And if you don't read my fan fiction, read someone else's fan fiction. Um, there is so much stuff out there that is there's amazing. So That's there's, my like. If there is a TV show you like, there is fanfic out there, and it's so good. <laughs> oh my god, so true. Like even like. Com- th- there is fan fiction for like commercials and ads and, yeah like that i'm pretty sure literally- flow from progressive has our own section oh my thing, god so. <laughs> i'm gonna go check when we're done 100 are you kidding me they ship her with the other guy and the ads all the time or oh probably like god. jake from state farm like it's just a lot of like <laughs> a lot of crossovers okay but i've been seeing like these ads where it's like flow having a weird uh, like she went to dinner with john ham who i find very attractive i love um <laughs> and like yeah he's been in the ads so i can totally like see someone writing fan fiction of like oh john ham and like, i love this for them listen if you're listening and you're a you're a writer or even <laughs> if you're not a writer i'm gonna need that john ham x flow fanfic in my inbox uh, by monday morning thank you do it is for us please for just us. post it drop it and then dm us and Hell we're gonna yeah. be reading it oh my gosh <laughs> well as always a pleasure and thank you so much for joining me on listen um you, you can catch my um content at listen with roops on instagram at listen with roops on twitter um at listen with roops on my probably defunct facebook if you're so interested <laughs> um but thank you so much and have a wonderful rest of your week <laughs>